Welcome to the Center of Everywhere podcast, where we explore stories of rural Minnesotans who are making a difference in their communities. Rural isn't in the middle of nowhere. It is in the center of everywhere. Welcome to the Center of Everywhere podcast. I'm Kelly Ash, Senior Researcher at the Center for Rural Policy and Development. We are a private, nonpartisan, nonprofit organization based in rural Minnesota, where we are dedicated to providing data-driven research on rural issues to help our policymakers make more informed decisions affecting the rural people and places of our state. So anybody that follows the Center for Rural Policy and Development, you might have read our most recent report looking at what were some of the factors among Southwest high school graduates and um, whether there was an increased chance that they might stay in the region or come back into the region and have meaningful employment uh, from the places and region that they graduated in. Uh, this particular report was, report was really focused on Southwest Minnesota. And today we're actually, uh, I'm joined with Ariane Ferris, who is the Career and Technical Education Coordinator for the Southwest West Central Service Cooperative and leads the Launching Your Future Today initiative. And from here on out, we'll call it LIFT. That's how I know it. Uh, and she's going to be talking about how these CTE collaborations between school districts and employers and colleges work, as well as some of the challenges and further opportunities to expand these efforts. Ariane, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kelly. So Ariane, why don't we start from the foundation of what is career technical education or CTE? It's funny when I we release this report, you know, uh, us that are involved in that, like you and a lot of uh, educational folks, if we just say CTE as if everybody knows what CTE is. But I was rather mm -hmm. surprised that a lot of people actually don't know what that means. And it's funny, yeah. people will be like, oh, is that shop? You know, right? Because right. that's what we have yes. in the 90s. So could you just give yep. us a quick primer on what is career and technical education? Yeah, so career and technical education uh, is essentially it's a sequence of courses that sort of has a staggering of skill development. Um, in addition to that, you are also learning career readiness skills. So you're getting kind of those 21st century skills as, as people will call them. Um, you know, your teamwork, your problem solving, all these things that employers will say, if they just have that, we could teach them the rest. But though, yeah, so CTE includes that, and it, it really includes that integration or connection to industry and business. Um, and so what are, every so what system are some we look examples? at, will, yeah. So examples of career and technical education, yeah. So a lot of like they kind of frame around our our six career clusters. So you know they're gonna focus on like your ag and um, agriculture, business, um, engineering, manufacturing, medical careers, um, even as far as like we'll have some culinary classes. Um, so maybe what used to be like your shop in your uh, facts class or your your cooking class or um, whatever, I think nowadays they call it facts and it's family and consumer sciences. Um, but those are sort of your career and technical education courses. Um, and so oftentimes you'll have like a, a metal and a, and a welding and you'll have an automotive um, there are, like I was mentioning, some courses where you have like some carpentry classes. I know in like Pipestone, they're, they're building homes. They've created a partnership with um, their economic development and the students are working on blighted homes. 
and working on that too, then that also becomes a solution to our housing <laughs> issue, which is a whole nother podcast. Um, yeah, and so those would be examples of career and technical education. Um, and it's interesting because there's several folks in this space who might define it differently, but if you look at them all, they sort of have the same theme of sort of a, a sequenced continuum of, of skill development alongside of kind of that industry <clears throat> um, integration um, of, you know, making sure that they have those problem solving communication teamwork, sort of integrating the employment skills that most classes don't necessarily hone in on. I think it was 2014, 2015 when, when it got started. Do you kind of want to talk a little bit about, you know, what led up to the creation of, of Lyft Career Pathways? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, in 2014, uh, a group of superintendents and principals, teachers, and some folks from the Southwest West Central Service Co-op um, went out and did some fight site visits um, and toured other collaborative career and tech ed programs. Um, so we checked out like um, the CTE academies over in Sioux Falls and Watertown, South Dakota, also Wright County. Um, so several of those um, pieces there um, provided a lot of community presentations as well um, to folks about sort of this, this need for more career and tech ed in the region. Um, and so in 2015 was really the first attempt um, for this um, kind of CTE pilot project when the co-op really went um, more towards this legislative funding concept um, for these initiatives. And kind of from that point, kind of from 2015 through, it was really in 2017 then when the Southwest West Central um, service co-op was awarded a $3 million legislative grant. And that was really to develop a rural career and tech ed delivery system for our high school students. Um, and at that time, it was really kind of focused on like, how might our school districts share these resources and partner with one another? Um, and then so from there, um, we were able to create our Lyft advisory committee. Um, and so that was formed and that is a broad representation of diverse partners in our 18 county service region, um, economic development folks, higher education folks, um, our secondary schools, our chambers, um, workforce development, just a real broad representation there of those folks coming together um, to really sit down and and figure out how, how do we um, you know, really work on this CTE delivery system here in Southwest West Central in, Minnesota. Area, in those initial conversations that you were having, um, what was some of the feedback you were getting? Because it's not like school districts can form CTE programming on their own. They don't need an organization like Lyft to do it. But what were some of the roadblocks that you guys were hearing and why there was a need to have Lyft, uh, the organization or the, the initiative and the program um, uh, developed? Yeah, yeah. So I think what was going on there, and as I mentioned, kind of within this kind of startup of Lyft, um, we started kind of holding convenience community presentations, just talk a little bit about it. Um, and of course, several folks from, you know, your school districts are there. And 
And really it's the the capacity, I think, for the school districts. Career and technical education is sort of its its own entity and sort of that holistic look at what education is in for our school districts. Um, it requires a lot more than what it what our general education courses do. It's sort of that thing now where really just with some state requirements and things, our general education, it just holds a little more weight right now. And so it's it's easier to implement those kinds of courses than it is for these career and tech ed courses. Um, and so between all of that, you know, the the decrease of the courses and the teachers and, and the offerings, um, we're suddenly seeing an increase in our need for these skills from our employers. And so I think that was really the feedback of we need, you know, how do we put more emphasis on CT? And I think for some of the school districts, it really was that thing of we need to have some policies that are changed. Um, Cause that just sort of leads me into, I think, you know, one of the common roadblocks there was the schools were on board. I think what we're finding now too, is that we have a lot more employers who are coming to the table and finding that this is their, um, you know, their, their need for work as well. Um, especially after the pandemic and, and all of that. I mean, previous, even to the pandemic, we were looking at, you know, the, the baby boomers retiring and this need to fill these jobs. And then COVID happened. It exasperated that. And now today we have our employers there. And I think that was one roadblock though, was it was really hard for our employers, like not faulting them or anything, but really trying to see how how do they fit, right? In, in the picture of career and tech ed and helping our school districts um, build essentially our future workforce. At the same time, we're also seeing then that our um, population's diminishing, <laughs> you know? So not only are we gonna have like, tons of people retiring and leaving, but we also are having people just leave the, the area in general. And so then there's this concept of like, how do we entice our students? And so to stay and work here and, you know, now we're up against kind of some mindsets and stereotypes too of like, if your kid doesn't go to four year school, you know, they don't really amount to anything. Welding and construction, that's dirty. You know, so it, it really amounts, I think, to this, like it just becomes bigger <laughs> than a school district alone can do, that an employer alone can do, that your economic development, your workforce development, I mean, even those systems purposes have changed as far as what their focus is. You know, um, I think it was um, the class I got to uh, hang out with you and your class, and we talked a lot about how like you know, workforce development, it used to be a lot of focus on your dislocated workers and how do we get them back into the workforce and reconnected and your economic development, you know, it's more about how are we building business and now it's all shifted and it's all how do we bring the people here to fill the jobs, especially in our region, we have our job vacancy rate, we don't even have a half a person for every job that's available. So I think that's really what even, you know, five years ago, um, almost 10, it was just that, yeah, this is a bigger problem than all of us. It requires all of us to come together. I think that's the coolest thing about our Lift Career Pathway Advisory Committee, though. Um, and maybe some folks will chalk it up to it's just Southwest Minnesota, but we collaborate really well. Um, <clears throat> we learn really quickly that we can't do it alone. We need each other to be able to, to really provide quality um, services that are going to provide a solution to our problem. So, 
yeah, I think that's some of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if I were, you know, I, I think it's interesting because career and technical education has been around for a long, many, many decades. And it's kind of been on this roller coaster ride where I think there was a lot more opportunities, maybe in the 60s and 70s and 80s, you saw more of these classes. They really diminished throughout the 90s and 2000s. And now we're starting to see it ramp up again. And it sounds like just from the community meetings you guys had, there was this is it was really instigated by this kind of the traditional academic structure uh, among our school districts, you know, kind of we have a very much I don't want to say top down process, but regarding like what students are required to learn and the courses are required mm -hmm. to take really try to get students in these uh, silos of like you need to be STEM or you need to be thinking about college and things like that. But I think over the years, particularly in rural areas and in particular Southwest Minnesota, you've seen significant job vacancies, lots of jobs available, but for whatever reason, these, the education, the traditional kind of education pathway wasn't doing a real good job of connecting students to these career mm -hmm. opportunities in the region. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I like, I, I love that. Cause when we did some interviews with school districts too, they're like, look, you know, we're pretty much like, trained to follow state guidelines in terms of how we're going to educate these students yet mm -hmm. that isn't always super helpful for the local rural region and so mm -hmm. it seems like lyft kind of sidles up next to the school districts and tries to like bring in all these employers and workforce development organizations in the school districts and multiple school districts to coordinate mm -hmm. do something that's a little bit outside of what the textbook kind of process is for educating our, our students right now. Is that kind of in a nutshell? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's perfect. Um, so as you, as you guys have been kind of developing this program, what have been some like, um, we'll start with challenges and in particular, we'll start with like, what have been some of the common roadblocks you've seen uh, in developing career and technical education programming in Southwest Minnesota? Yeah. So I think the first one that just comes to mind because it really sort of just illuminates out through the rest, like the rest of our problem, our challenges anyways, but it's really the Minnesota state graduation requirements. Um, really hard to, again, it kind of goes back to that whole idea of just like the weight of career ed, career and tech ed versus kind of your just general um, courses and not saying that anything's, you know, um, better than another. <laughs> um, but it's just now that if you were to really look at the alignment of our labor market, we need more career and tech ed programming. And so, you know, you can look up the Minnesota State graduation requirements and you and you can see and and many employers as we're really starting to work more alongside employers and really having them help us develop the content and the curriculum and do some co-teaching and just really develop that more awareness of what these opportunities are, as you were saying, kind of was really lacking. Um, and so as we're all coming together, you're just seeing a lot more of that. And they're looking at these graduation requirements going, you know, algebra one, great, but I don't know about algebra two, and I'm not sure about this advanced algebra. And, you know, that's just an example, but you start getting into maybe some of your social studies as well. And again, not to say that they're not important and that they don't hold weight. It's just that does that really align with that, that particular student's career path or what that career path is. And I think that's really sort of, you know, to that, it, it just aligns more with maybe this more 
traditional approach that we have been so familiar with in this like space of career planning over, I don't know, almost three decades, probably really. I mean, I think back to just when I was, you know, looking at what my options were going to be for after high school and the way that I was taught to do it was much different than what I am trying to, um, or that we are trying, I should say, because it certainly is not me alone, but to, to, you know, change that narrative for folks because, um, yeah, it kind of gets me off on a, a little bit of, you know, because then it, it, it helps me relate it too as far as now there's this weight too of like what's more important, you know, versus like a two-year or a four-year going right to college. And so it, it all kind of, you know, kind of comes together and correlates. And I think, again, going back to I talked a little bit about mindsets and stereotypes, um, but really I think just being able to understand the value of what is available in our school districts. And if we could have some weight to some of these other classes that are requirements right now um, to like CTE. So for example, one thing we're really trying to do with Launch Your Future today is help our school districts think about integrating career and tech ed with these state requirements because their requirements, they're there, they're in law. <laughs> As you mentioned, I mean, school districts really are up to you know, these, these holes of where they got to stay in place of in order to, you know, um, stay in compliance and, and such. And, and so one thing we did was like um, geometry and construction. So we're really trying to help our school districts here. This is a course that provides exposure and experience to the skilled trades, but it also allows our students to get a math credit. That is a requirement. And so if we could really do some more of, of those sort of things, um, you know, I think about the intro to medical careers courses that are taking place out there, and there's so much kind of science that's involved in it, or um, even some of just like the on-the-job training or the work-based learning kind of independent study courses that are happening alone, how so many of those could easily probably correlate into some other gra graduation requirements, like even a language arts, for example, um, you know, so trying to get them to think more about that, trying to be innovative, I guess, in that regard as well, so we can sort of get around that that roadblock. Um, but there are certainly um, lots of strategies and pieces where people have to come together and be willing to um, be a little innovative, maybe, you know, um, not necessarily break rules per se, but, you know, just be willing to um, kind of maybe take some risks um, so there's that. And then, you know, like with the state requirements too, then we run into scheduling issues. So, you know, we got to have the classes at certain times and the students got to be there certain times. And so getting them off campus and, you know, thinking about your report about that, that connection to the work-based learning and how that emphasis really, you know, correlates with those students who have stayed and are working and have that meaningful workforce participation. But to have a school, you know, for example, in Adrian, you know, they have, they, you know, you almost are driving an hour to get, to get anywhere back and forth. And so now you've missed two to three hours on campus. And, you know, it's kind of that thing too, where if you're maybe not a student who can balance your time in your classes and try to keep up while you're not on campus, you know, then that maybe eliminates you as well from some of those opportunities. So, you know, hopefully through some of these scenarios here, I'm sharing, you can kind of see how just alone, those state graduation requirements can kind of, you know, if we could just loosen up on that a little, <laughs> that would be super great. And then, you know, the other uh, Arianne, piece. I'm going to, yeah. real quick, I'm wondering, um, 
you you brought up the construction and geometry and yeah. some of the science behind nursing and and I assume you know that's kind of where a CT is going to have to move in order to continue to be successful and things like that. How have you found? Um, I, I would assume the Minnesota Department of Education have they been? Uh, is there some negotiation room in there to be like, hey, okay, you want this and this kind of math? If we incorporate that in a way into like the CTE courses, can that count? Or are they pretty stringent on like, it's gotta be so many hours and it's gotta be taught this way? Or are they pretty open to alternative ways of teaching that type of material? You know, I do feel like they would be pretty open to teaching that type of material. Um, I think it's just a matter of forming your case and, and proving that, you know, cause this geometry and construction, that was a model that actually started in Colorado. Um, that we learned about and we brought folks out to just kind of train. I mean, so we had the teachers, um, I believe it's Jackson and Pipestone. Oh, and I feel terrible because I'm going to miss the third, the third school here now, but they're the ones who are doing it, but they brought teachers, you know, to it, but it was really that, that, um, that math teacher and that trades teacher that had to come together and figure out how they were going to make this work. So there's that dynamic of compromise and I've found in a professional world that that's not always, you know, that whole dynamic of um, being night playing nice in the sandbox isn't always super easy for everybody. Um, and I, I think it's not just because they're bad people. It's just what they know, right? It's that familiarity, their experience. It's, you know, so it's just, I think it goes out to that whole thing again of just awareness. I mean, I think that's really the state we're in is just opening these these ideas up and giving them a shot and seeing if they work. Um, so I yeah, to answer your question, I think certainly as long as, you know, from my understanding and folks in education could probably be rolling their eyes right now at me because I'm two years into this system where I, I did come from workforce and there's definitely been some light bulbs as I go through this journey. But, um, you know, it's just, yeah, just bringing that awareness, bringing it together, figuring it out. And I, I think, you know, it's just that whole competencies. That's kind of where I was going was like, as long as standards are being met and competencies and, you know, it's finding the time, I think, to sit down and be like, what is that? What does that look like? And where I was going with like the geometry and construction, like those school districts came to the Pipestone campus and at, um, and as I say that, that's anyways, um, they came there for a day, I mean, and, and trained for eight hours and, and you know, and, and really, um, yeah, it took some time to, to do that. And I think, again, just going back to all of it, it's, it's capacity with the school districts and the time. And especially now, since the pandemic, you just hear more and more that there's just, there's just so much more that they have to focus on that. Unfortunately, they can't really think about sometimes, but what is most important, and that is our students and their success. Um, so one, one challenge it seems like you continue to bring up too is finding teachers to do this work, right? So it, it may be that you don't have a teacher that can teach a particular topic in career and technical education, or you kind of got to find teachers that are willing to step outside of what maybe what they're used to in terms of teaching. You know, I'm 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 a teacher myself yeah. uh, at the Humphrey School of Public Affairs, and it's like you know once you have your Kind of curriculum set it's pretty sweet like you can go in and you don't have to change much mm -hmm. and kind of play along but but cte is definitely a curveball i would assume uh in in teaching yeah. so you want to talk a little bit about what you know what does that look like in teaching is that is that something 
um, you guys are able to solve a little bit more lately, or is it still an issue trying to find folks that can teach this, this these types of courses? Yeah. So, I mean, definitely just like any other industry right now, we're up against the job vacancy rate too. <laughs> um, you know, so just the pool of folks is, is something we're up against, but one strategy that we've been working on for years and um, Lakes Country Service Co-op has been instrumental in this and working with Pelsby, um, but really trying to come up with a teacher alternative prep program. Um, and this is really to help with the, the tiers that have come out now through MDE or um, they have now diverted that over to Pelsby. But um, and that's really to set up so that even folks from industry could come over into education. So that was one solution is like. How do we get folks who yeah, are in industry can come over? Because really, I think that is the, the caveat of career and tech ed is there is that that need to be aware of what the skills are that are needed that are, um, you know, how to run these these um, industry level machines and how, how to train your students to do those sort of things. Um, but I think the other piece of that is then there's unfortunately this this wage factor as well, because, you know, like when I think about the intro to medical careers course, you know, right now we've got a couple of RNs who are teaching those and, you know, Lord knows they could be somewhere else making four times what what they're getting paid in education. And and luckily for us, you know, it just comes down to the fact that they're passionate about the need for a workforce, because, I mean, just the thought of thinking about no healthcare <laughs> is really scary, you know? And um, yeah, so th there's been things like that, that we've been able to create where we're trying to really um, ramp that up. Another thought that, you know, we've been having a, a little bit about is trying to intrigue employers to volunteer their employees to get licensed as a CTE teacher to teach a course for a school district. Cause a lot of times I feel as though the conversations we have is they are, our school administrators are ready to bring on every and any course, but then they got to hire a staff person and they don't have that in their budget to do. And another thing we're up against a lot of times is our educational system, as far as like the business part of it is butts in the seats, you know? So, you know, there's this manipulation of behavior to say, well, we got to get students in here because now again, we're up against the state requirements. So we got to have these, you know, and then that leaves not enough in this class. Um, so that then takes on another dynamic of an educator to need to be um, pretty meticulous in outreach and recruitment. They got to be able to make sure they can get students into that class and so there's a level two where like, you know, your math teachers aren't necessarily needing to do outreach and recruitment. Like your kids are set, they're coming in, you know, and the requirements too then, it, and now I'm kind of getting off a little bit and going back to the requirements, but then it just really manipulates too to the fact that our students really can't get those experiences, those deep ones that they should have probably a little earlier than their junior year, but it's usually about their junior, for sure their senior year is where they can have those. And be best if we could really stagger them throughout their nine through 12. So by the time they graduate, they're really ready to make those informed decisions because, um, yeah, I think, you know, that's another thing that many folks now who are bringing kids into this part of their, their life are the folks who spent a lot of money on education, didn't go into their career path, probably jumped around a few times here and there, you know, and they don't want that for their kids either. So I think 
everyone's a little more, this momentum's coming up to where, yeah, they're ready to do those things. But getting back on that, I mean, yeah. So just trying to find the educators, entice them, incentivize. I mean, and it's another piece of Lyft Career Pathways too, as far as like, that's another thing, you know? So how do we make students passionate about education? And sometimes I think too, the stigma comes from the fact that they sit there all day, every day. And they're like, I definitely don't want to come back here. You know, we do have few that are like, yep, absolutely. I want to stay here for the rest of my life and I want to educate and, you know, that's great, but it's not as many as we need. And we certainly need more folks to go into the career and tech ed realm of things. I do think that career and tech ed is the future, especially if you just look at data as far as labor market information goes. Um, that is the need that our our employers definitely need if we want to continue to help our economies and our local communities thrive. And you know, you, one thing yeah. you kind of you keep talking about that is um kind of the narrative around things. And it's interesting, right? So if you do look at the job vacancies and the skill requirements and experience requirements that are being asked for, um, you notice a lot of them, as you're saying, don't require four-year college graduation. Uh, mm -hmm. Even the state of Minnesota itself has gotten rid of a lot of four-year uh, four university graduation mm -hmm. requirements for their positions. Um, and, and what's interesting, I think part of that narrative is, is, and you'll see this in newspaper articles where they're like, oh, they're all low-skilled, obviously, because they don't require that much. But when you look mm -hmm. at the research, you look at the trends. So if you look at during the Great Recession, a bunch of the jobs required tons of experience and, um, you know, uh, an undergraduate or a diploma, you know, at mm -hmm. minimum. But it was largely because there was a ton of folks unemployed. And so employers were just reacting yeah. to the situation being like, all right, how do I, you know, get kind of the the people with the most experience in my applicant pool to choose from because I know there's a lot of them out there. Now there's no one out there. There's no one in their applicant pool. So they're like, you know what? I don't care. Like if, if yep. your blood is red, you know, and, yep. and you're a decent human being, we'll figure it out. Uh, and yes. obviously that's not the case for a lot, but you know, you kind of see that lever being pulled in terms of yes. trying to increase your applicant pool. And I wonder if that's part of the narrative too, is like, you know what, we need a lot more career and technical education. Um, that's yes. what our employers are demanding. Um, but there's kind of this stigma attached to it that like, oh, it's low skill, but that isn't necessarily right. the case. Maybe could you talk a little bit about like, you know, what are some like the advanced training in career and technical education? What does it actually look like? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the narrative for sure. I think you know, um, like with Live, Launch Your Future today, one thing we really try to focus a lot on is, you know, again, looking at the labor market. Yeah, only 30 percent of jobs in southwest Minnesota require a four year degree. And so I think <clears throat> it's sort of that. I think that understanding, again, going back to the fact that those 70 percent then of those jobs are just not that traditional career of what we're used to. And so, you know, thinking back to, to, to the comment around employers are like, you know, as long as they have a good attitude and, you know, they show up, like we can train them. And so many employers have now got to this point. And I think that's a lot of the conversation we have is like, you're, you're, you're already providing training for your current employees. So it's really no different than the training that you would provide to a student coming in into this. And so the conversation with employers a lot now is more like try to think of yourself as a college, because 
that whole idea of like what's next after high school has changed. And so that's really what we need to kind of hone in on. And so we tell them players like, if you can sort of communicate to parents and students of what these career pathways, what does it look like once you come work here? Because oftentimes what employers are familiar with is you go through the application, the interview, and then you hire them. And so you don't really understand what those career pathways are, those opportunities are until you are an employee there. And most folks are not thinking of their student or as a student that I am going to go work for and then get my education and training necessarily. I mean, right now, and this has been around for years, but our hospitals, I mean, you could go in there as a patient care aide, no CNA, no training whatsoever, and work your way all the way up to become an RN or even an LPN or whatever you want to do. And they will pay for you. Like they have tuition set up and you can do all that. And so you can go right from high school to Avera, for example, and, and, and go through the pathway. But most of us don't think that way. We think we need to go to a college and then we would go to an employer. And so that kind of leads me to this kind of famous slide we always use in several of our presentations. But, you know, like spring's coming up, we got high school graduations and we're all going to be going and celebrating those. And typically the first question we'll ask a high school student is what college are you going to? So what college are you going to head to here now, you know? And so we've already sort of set this precedence that it has to be college. And so I think it we what we really need to do is rather than asking students that, it needs to be what's next after high school? What are you planning to do after high school? Because really a degree, a two-year degree, I mean, a student with an electrical two-year degree program is going to make two times more money than a student who leaves with a four-year education degree. Sad, but true. I shouldn't have used that as my example. But, you know, I mean, so it's just that thing where it, it really, your major matters. So this, you know, comment you hear, this tagline you hear, major matters, like it is very true. And I think it's very true in Southwest West Central Minnesota because the labor market is dynamic. And I mean, you could, you know, for example, we got a project here at the Wabasso High School where seniors are going down to the kibble equipment, the shop. They're going through the orientation that any other any other employee would. They kind of work through all these different facets of kind of entry level work. And then they get to they pay for their schooling for two years and they come back and they be diesel mechanics you know, and so that, but that is not anything most of us are used to as far as a pathway of, of, of a career path. And so rather than kind of honing in our focus on like, it has to be college and then your pathway, and then you, you know, kind of go into whatever it really needs to be like, what is that pathway, you know, and then figuring out, you know, is it college? Is it your employer? Is it, you know, whatever. Um, and then, you know, moving into it to that way. And and thinking about that does require kind of this mindset to change of one is not better than another. I mean, because they're all good. And I think, too, just with, you know, looking at it's kind of an interesting facet. But, you know, here we are working for our students. And so what are they thinking? And so there's a lot of research out there on like student occupational identities. And a lot of them will already say I'm on a pathway you know, already I'm in school, I'm kind of working towards this, 
this place. And, you know, when I think about it too, Kelly, like you and I are not where we are because we put a path on a piece of paper and said, this is where we're going. I mean, it was a series of decisions that we made over time. And so I think really this whole awareness, exposure, experience, like all that is so important because it creates those connections. I mean, what we've heard from some kids going through different pieces of lift, there's a video out there we have on our website somewhere, um, his, this young man named Taylor. And he's like, I didn't even realize that this skill existed in that I had, like, I didn't even know it existed for me to need to even have it or that it needed to be a thing. And so I think for just all of us, more of that awareness and exposure and experience to just really to know what we don't know um, and to not think that one thing is better than another because we're so purpose-driven. That's really where I was trying to get with this occupational identity thing is so many of us, even our kids, this new generation's up and coming are just purpose-driven and um, they're going into careers based on the fact that they do want to live locally and close to home and they're passionate about their community and so we need to kind of capitalize on on those pieces. I, I like what you said regarding, you know, we want our kids, our, our children to be exposed to a lot of different things, right? So it's not mm -hmm. that one is better than the other. Um, but I think traditional academic and uh, our, you know, kind of very educational framework that we have right now that's traditional really doesn't do a great job at exposing students mm -hmm. to all the different opportunities that's available to them. They're a little bit, you know, it's a little bit more, like you said, structured in terms of you got to learn this, this, and this, we got to get you mm -hmm. ready for probably a, a four-year college, maybe two-year college, but that's about it. Like it's not super career oriented. Um, yes. That's more expected. Like, oh, you'll figure that out in college after you graduate high school, where mm -hmm. CTE takes a much more, um, proactive approach where it's like, hey, here's a whole bunch of career opportunities, increase their awareness of these opportunities and then be like, all right, how do we set up an education plan that aligns with what you're kind of interested in? Is that the way to put it? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Ariane, thanks for being a part of the podcast today and sharing the uh, Launch of Future Today initiative and some of the great work you guys are doing in Southwest and um, looking forward to probably having you on again in a couple of years and see what kind of growth we're looking at for the programs. Yeah, that sounds great, Kelly. And thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. And all the research and the report too, I mean, phenomenal for knowing that what we're doing is a good strategy. So that's fabulous. Thank you. You've been listening to the Center of Everywhere podcast, where we explore stories of rural Minnesotans who are making a difference in their communities. Rural isn't in the middle of nowhere. It is in the center of everywhere. Everywhere.